Hey everybody, welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold one spot in Jonah chapter one. Now, if you haven't turned to Jonah recently, as you've been reading your Bible, it's the fifth book of the Minor Prophets. So go to the end of the Old Testament and it's sandwiched between Obadiah and Micah, there is Jonah. We are in a series called High Seas, No Way Around But Through. And in this series, we're just talking about the unexpected storms of life, right? High seas that, that, that catch us off guard. They're unwelcome, they're unplanned, they're interruptions into our regular life. And these storms, these high seas, have the potential to sink our confidence in God. And what we've been talking about is that we, we go through really difficult tests, trials, circumstances, uh, and then we know that God is A, he sees it all, what's going on, B, uh, he's good, C, we know he's in control, D, he has our best interest in mind, right? And E, we know he's good. And when you juxtapose those two things, that we're going through a really rough time, and we know who God is and all that uh, involves, it leads to the question, like, why? Why is it if, if you see me and you know and you're good and you love me and you're in control and you're sovereign and you have my best interest in mind and wise, why are you allowing this to happen? Or now that it's happening because of a choice I made, how do I make it to the other side? How do I come back? So. Today, you might, be you might find yourself in one of those two situations, circumstances that you didn't ask for, or a choice you made that put you into some high seas, or maybe your seas are calm. But guess what? Jesus said, in this life, you will experience high seas. You will have many trials and sorrows. So you're either in one of, of, of three buckets, right? And that's why we need to um, address this, right? God's word is full of examples of men who had to navigate all three of these situations. They went from calm to making a choice to high seas or just high seas happened to them. And we've been having a good time looking at how they negotiate and navigate in those times as a man of God, right? So for session four, we are going to see a man who finds himself literally on the high seas where there's no way around but through, but he doesn't make it to the other side, in fact, he gets put into the belly of the beast. And we're talking about Jonah. Jonah is literally on the high seas in a storm because of a choice that he made. And God intervenes with a storm to have a experience with him. And he ends up literally in the belly of the beast, right? And we use that term, right? And it comes from the story of Jonah to describe when a man is in a very, let's say, unfriendly or dangerous place. I mean, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, think of Frodo and Sam in disguise going into Mordor. If you're a Star Wars fan, like think of Hans, Han Solo and Luke Skywalker, right? Disguising themselves as Stormtrooper and going into the Death Star, right? Or maybe a real life uh, guy who goes into the belly of the beast, my friend, Victor Marks, right? Imagine him going into an ISIS stronghold with a team of men to rescue sexually trafficked and trapped women. That is the belly of the beast. And you get the picture, 
right? Now, that's where we get the term from. It's the story of Jonah. And if you're saying to yourself, well, that's a nice mystical allegory. No, it's not. This literally happened. In fact, Jesus validated the story of Jonah, um, you know, by saying just as Jonah was in the belly of uh, the fish for three nights and three days, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of earth for three days and three nights. And so this is a literal story, not some mystical allegory, not some nice metaphor, which makes it even more intriguing. So let's talk about where we're going today in session four of High Seas. Let's just, as we've done every session, just kind of get God's mind on when circumstances are dark, right? And we'll just make some observations. And then uh, we're gonna look at when the light literally went out in Jonah's world and then unpack some truths you can put to work right now that will get you through to the other side, which for the man of God is God's purpose. The other side of the storm is God's purpose. So let's just get God's mind on when things get dark. Look at your message notes. Make sure that you download those every time we meet because then we can follow along. But we'll put the, vo the verses on the screen. Psalm 112 verse four says this, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. And so when we read that in God's word, we sense the contrast, right? Well, anytime you say, well, even in anything, right? You're setting up a contrasting point. So he says, even in darkness, right? Light dawns for who? Well, people who know God, the upright, right? Those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. And what I love about this, uh, this truth from scripture is that it affirms something that we know. And that is that God is at work in everything. There's nothing he's not at work in, whether things are going awesome, right? And you're flying high or whether you're in the valley or in the slimy pit and it's dark, God is at work. And what I like about this passage too is that it's hard to be and act graciously and compassionately and righteously when you're in a stressful circumstance or under a lot of pressure. But it shows that God's purpose and God's man, even when it's dark, right? Light can dawn. There can be a redemptive, supernatural purpose, right? When we continue to have faith, when we continue to live for God, when we continue to love him and love people, even when our circumstances aren't optimal or even painful, right? We continue to be gracious. We continue to be compassionate. We continue to be righteous, all right? The, the next passage where it kind of gives us God's mind when circumstances go dark is from the New Testament. It's from James chapter one, very familiar passage. And it says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Again, there is this juxtaposition of trials 
of many kinds. And then this contrast where the man of God can actually consider it joy. Why? Because he knows that God is using it to develop him. Satan might want to use that circumstance to destroy him. God's using it to develop him. That gives him joy. Satan might want to lie to us and tell us that, man, this is a really, this is a stumbling block in your faith with God. Why is God doing this? God's saying, nope, it's a stepping stone to greater maturity and greater completion. God is using this trial like a refiner's fire, and he's He's, he's skimming the dross off the top so that the pureness of the gold, which is your faith, can be proved genuine, all right? Here's a few observations just on the two passages, the one from the Old Testament and the one from the New. So what do we see, all right? We see A, life's adversity. Write that down. That's right. Adversity is baked in to our experience in this life. That's why Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. So we see life's adversity, we should expect it, we don't have to like it, but when it comes, we shouldn't be shocked that, that in a broken planet, uh, in a broken world, with broken people, that, that injustice and pain and difficulty and trial comes along. Second, we see God's sovereignty, right? In these adversities, uh, the scripture makes it very clear that God is over and transcends and is, com- is in command over what's happening, that God and his purposes transcend the in- adversity. Why? Because of God's sovereignty. He's in control. You might be shocked. He's not shocked. You might be confused. He has perfect clarity on what's going on uh, and what he wants to accomplish And he's just looking for us to look to him because he is sovereign. Third, we see man's dependency, right? When you read the Bible, adversity is synonymously, you know, married up with dependency whenever you see that. So, you know, if we read the Psalms and we see David, he's in adversity, there's this theme of dependency. When we see Elijah and he's on the run, we see this this theme of dependency, right? When Jonah, as we'll see, is in the belly of the beast, right? We're going to see percolate out of this, this dependency, all right? So life, life's adversity is there. God's sovereignty is present. And then we see it calls out man's dependency. Fourth, we see God's intentionality, right? Especially in the James passage, right? It says, consider it joy when you face trials, You know, faith produces, testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance finishes at work. And here's the intentionality prepositional phrase, so that, right? So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So we can always say God's up to something. I don't know what God's up to. I may not like the process, um, but I know he's up to something he's using these high seas that I find myself in, he's using this space I'm in, which is the belly of the beast, feels dangerous, looks dangerous, but he's using it to accomplish his purposes, okay? So now let's move from here, just some thoughts about 
adversity, God's sovereignty, how it calls out dependency, and how God's purpose is always at work. He's always up to something. Let's now look at this little vignette of Jonah in Jonah chapter one. And we're gonna see, interestingly, all of those things we just talked about in play in the life of God's servant, Jonah. <clears throat> so what we're gonna do is we're gonna kinda set up a context and see what the backdrop is from chapter one. And then we're gonna see some principles about personal adversity that are modeled in the story of Jonah, all right? So let's get some context. Jonah chapter one, let's, let's read the Bible together. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? All right, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and nights. So there's our backdrop, all right? Here's the backstory. God asks his servant to go talk to the Ninevites, and just to kind of put it in context, just think of people who terrorize your people, all right? That's who God was asking Jonah to go talk to, all right? He was going to talk to people who terrorized his people. So not only is there a human factor of fear, like you want me to go preach to terrorists? Um, but there's also, uh, you know, a emotional factor and it's a super hard ask, all right? Has God ever asked you to do something just emotionally where just all, everything inside you is just like, nope, right? And you, you do what Joan does. Like, I, I'm not gonna have any part of that just because of the backdrop, just because of the history, because of all that's involved in that ask. Man, this is a, a nuclear size step of faith and ask from God on his servant Jonah. So what does he do, man? He's just like, I'm running, okay? God's asked me, um, I gotta get out of Dodge. And so he hops on the ship, right, pays the fare. And as they're out there, you know, these calm seas turn into raging high seas, right? And they wanna know, like, hey, listen, uh, we'll try to row back but and get you off this boat because somebody's mad at you or somebody, you know, God is is moving. And then, you know, Jonah, like, 
owns it. He's like, okay, don't worry about it. Flip me overboard. And then the men are like, okay, Lord, we're gonna kill this guy, but just don't hold it against us, <laughs> right? And so they do that and the seas die down, right? So God affirms like, hey, this isn't about you guys. This is about this guy right here, right? I made the high seas happen because of a choice he made to try to run away from me. And even if we could just pause for a second in the narrative right there, I, I sense that God is revealing to many of you, perhaps hundreds, that there's, there's a hard ask. I don't know what it is. It could be a relational thing. It could be a marriage thing. It could be a forgiveness thing. There, I, I, I really sense God just like, there's some forgiveness and anger and bitterness um, that you're harboring. A lot of guys are harboring out there right now, right this second. And God is, is asking you to do what he's done with you, which is forgive. Um, not like, you know, you're, you're gonna uh, join lives together with the person who maybe hurt you, but you are gonna forgive them. And God's asking you to do a hard thing and you've been running away. Or maybe it's a responsibility that you have, or maybe it's a calling that you have to serve like, like Jonah and you're running away, um, hey, we've all done it probably in our lives, every guy. God's asked us to do a hard thing and we've either said no by delay or trying to stay ignorant or putting our, our body in motion, trying to get away from our calling from God. And I just have a word for you. God's bigger than your fear and God's at work, even as he is at work here. But the consequence, of that choice that Jonah makes now starts to involve other people, right? And so that gets handled, right? Reluctantly, they throw him overboard, seas calm down, their decision is affirmed, and, uh, and then now God moves to phase two with Jonah, right? He's in open ocean, and God sends a massive fish to just swallow him up, right, for three days and three nights. All right, now, okay, now we're in the belly of the beast. Now let's look at, now we're in it. Doesn't look good. Let's look at how God is there and how he's at work and what Jonah's response is in the midst of huge personal adversity. First observation, personal adversity changes our behavior, right? You can't not respond to circumstances that befall you, whether you, you made a choice and that put you there or whether it happens unexpectedly. As a human being, you're not a robot. You will respond, right? And you'll respond either in pride and self-sufficiency. I'm gonna take matters into my own hands, right? Kind of like what, what Jonah did. Or I will respond in, in healthy and humble dependency because I know who God is. Right? The ask is hard, but I know who's asking, right? Isn't that a great point? The ask is hard, but I know who's asking. And because I know who's asking, that gives me confidence and comfort to humbly, right? And uh, depend on God and move forward uh, in obedience. Um, but this adversity changes his behavior. The storm, the overboard, the fish, Listen to how Jonah's behavior changed. 
Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help, and you listened to my cry. So you see the three designations of where he was. He's just trying to describe the belly of the beast. From inside the fish, that's in the belly of the beast. In my distress, that's in the belly of the beast. From deep in the realm of the dead. Like he's just like, okay, it's over. But even in that situation, he's like, I'm gonna pray to the Lord. Pretty simple. When you are in high seas, when there's no way around but through, you can rely on yourself or you can rely on God. That's it. You can rely on yourself or you can rely on God. And there's some of you watching right now, you've been relying on yourself in a tough circumstances. You, you might even be a resourceful and successful dude. Or you might be good at kind of slipping out of circumstances, but you're not getting out of this one. God has sent you into the belly of the beast and there is no escape except to call for help from God, right? Adversity always redirects our energy, but that can go one way or another. We can move into pride and self-sufficiency or healthy and humble dependency on God. And Jonah makes the right choice, right? I mean, you talk about your back against the wall. His back is up against an intestine, right? And so we're going to respond, but the question is just how? Well, look where he is and look at what he does and look at God's response. The Bible says, I called for help and you listened to my cry. This isn't a, a fancy prayer. This is a, a signal flare, flare, right? When the boat's going down or you're going down and you're sinking to the depths, you don't mess around. You grab, grab that flare gun and you hit that in the air and you hope somebody nearby sees it. But that's the kind of prayer that perhaps many of us need to pray right now. And God will listen. God's, God sees it. You're not going to be surprising him. In fact, he's, he might be even using the belly of the beast and the high seas you find yourself in to get you to this point where you have to surrender the whole enchilada to God. All that's going on, all the relationships, you just need to cease striving and know that he is God and call out to God in your distress. You see... Adversity, one of God's purposes of adversity is to change our behavior. Now, in this, this situation with Jonah, he prays. For the psalmist, in the next passage of scripture we're going to look at, there's another change of behavior. Look at what he says. My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Wow. Okay. So Jonah prays. The psalmist goes to God's word. He goes back to the truth. Man, I... I gotta pay attention to this. And you know what? This is a prophetic word for so many of you out there. This right here, right? Um, this is this is not this is a weapon and it's not being used in your life. And you're wondering, gosh, why do I why are things going on in my life? Why are why am I experiencing some of the things that I'm experiencing? Why do I have more anxiety? Why are my relationships fragmenting? Because you're not paying attention to this. This is this is oxygen for faith. 
This is oxygen for blessing. This is what you breathe in. This is what you take in. You just, you gulp it like air, right? Like a newborn takes in a gulp of air to start its life. We start our life, our spiritual life every day with this essential oxygen that gives life to, to us and to our spirits and to God's purposes and it, it clarifies things and it makes things less confusing and it sends us in the right direction and it gives us power over the devil and the flesh. But there are many of you just right now, it's just like, man, I have let my phone, my schedule, my work get in the way of my time with God. Listen, you can't make a breakfast appointment with me. Wanna know why? Because I need to breathe my time and God's word in. I have to take it in to my body. I have to be here and my, my discipline isn't perfect, but I can say my disciplines are consistent. Not because I'm a great dude or a good believer. It's because I know I will die literally and spiritually without oxygen. The oxygen, the life-giving power of God's word. So personal adversity changes our behavior. Two behaviors. You start praying and you start coming back to God's word. And you set aside time to be with him. And that's what he's after. He just wants, he just wants you to get back with him, right? Back talking and back dialoguing and sharing, talking, more talking, more wisdom, more talking, right? Personal adversity changes our behavior. Secondly, personal adversity is from God. Look at how Jonah follows that up. He starts to pray and then he, he kind of diagnoses the situation and he says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled all about me, all your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. And so Jonah's trying to really paint a picture in this conversation with God that he's having, because he started to pray, his personal adversity changed his, uh, changed his behavior, but now he starts kind of diagnosing this. He was like, this is from you. Now it's making sense, right? At least he's letting, letting himself hear the truth of probably what he already knew, but like, I, you asked me to do a hard thing. I said, no, I ran. I couldn't outrun you. You stopped me and you hurled me into the depths, right? It's your waves that came and stopped that boat and we couldn't row back to shore. Year breakers swept over me. So I started to sink and then you sent the fish. And I love the, 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 the pivot point. Yet, right? Yet, I will look again toward your holy temple. Just, I will look again to where you are, right? In the midst of, listen, the engulfing waters, the deep surrounding me, the seaweed wrapped around my head, right? So low, right? I can't get any lower than this low. And that's what many of you need to hear today. You're like, I've never been lower. And you can't go too low where God cannot reach into that 
place. God is right with you, right? You can feel like you're low and like God's not there, but God's right there. And like Jonah, you need to yet again, in the midst of the low, right, uh, the deep surrounding you, the engulfing waters threatening you, right, threatening your very life, right, you need to yet again look toward God. Because this circumstance that you're in, either the storm of consequences that come from a choice you've made, or the unplanned, right, squall line that's hit your life that you would have never scripted, doesn't matter. However you find yourself in the high seas, right, engulfed, surrounded, threatened, that's all from the Lord, right? He's allowed. He, it's from God because in a broad sense, he made you a, a free moral creature. You're not a robot. You make choices that create consequences, some good, sometimes really bad consequences, right? But in a specific sense, God's over what he allows into your life, right? So if you're not on the, hey, this isn't a consequence of a choice I made, I didn't plan for this. Well, God's over your life and God's allowing it, right? And he's at work in both cases, okay? Now, when trials extend over time, wouldn't you agree? gets a little, a little tougher. It's like, okay, God, I prayed. I called out. Okay, I'm trusting you. Day one, day two, days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. And um, they don't resolve, you know, and that can be hard to hang on. And I love this passage from Job because he was one of those guys who had an extended long-term deal and he's getting pressure to give up his faith. And Satan will use people to try to pressure you to give up your faith. Satan will directly lie to you to try to pressure you to put put away your faith and, and, and belief in God. He'll use the, the timing of everything and how long it's going without deliverance to sabotage your faith in God. But I love when a man of God knows his God. And Job is one of those guys. Listen to this. His wife said, Still holding on to your precious integrity, are you? Curse God and be done with it. He told her, you're talking like an empty-headed fool. We take the good days from God. Why not also the bad days? Not once through all this did Job sin. He said nothing against God, right? Job had an accurate view of life, right? He had an accurate view of the brokenness, the sin, the good and the bad, that there'd be good days and there'd be bad days, right? There'd be lots of wealth and maybe sometimes of scarcity in life, the ups and downs, right? And they're all from God, right? And, and so I love that he said, no, not going there. God's still good. The same God who, who brings, you know, the, the, good, the good parts, the successes, the, the provision, the supply, the, the joy of feeling um, supported and sustained, same God also allows the, the bad days. And he, that doesn't change his character. That's what I love about Job. He realizes that 
My circumstances don't change God's character. And some of you needed to hear that. Because your circumstances change, does that mean God loves you less? No. Does, because when Jesus went to the cross, does that mean that God loved his son less? No. It just meant that God was working on his purpose. You know, God's good. You know, Job would say, you know, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. Right? He didn't let the immediate change his view of the ultimate. Right? That this is a temporary thing, whether I succumb to it and go to God, or whether this resolves now, my circumstance and things change, I win. I love Job's attitude. So, personal adversity changes our behavior. We can go prideful or we can go humble. We can trust ourselves or we can turn to God, start praying, start coming back to his word. Personal adversity is from God in a broad sense, right? And that he made us free moral beings. We can make a choice to create consequences or in a specific sense where this is unscripted stuff that came into our life that we would never write in, right? He's at work in both cases. Third, personal adversity is never fatal or final for the man of God. And some of you needed to hear that just as directly as I said it. Personal adversity that you're in right now is not fatal and it's not final, but there is someone who wants you to believe that it is fatal and final. And that's the devil. And, the, and he'll say, you know what? There's no way out. You should just give up right now. There's this and this and this and this and this. It's like a, like a, le- like a lawyer. He's making his case you know, for you to just give up or bail out, right? And I know from where I talk, I've had two brothers commit suicide. I've been in multiple situations where people believed the lie that something was fatal or final, a circumstance, right? A situation, um, they're the loss that they've suffered the rejection that they've suffered, the, the trauma, quite frankly, that, that they've suffered. And when you are hit with something that is painful, that means that there's going to be some negative emotions, and man, that's when the devil comes in and says, see? See, I told you. You know, where are you going to go from here, right? I mean, it's over, right? So, I mean, if it's over, I mean, shouldn't it be over? Why don't you just go all the way? Suicide is epidemic. And you know who is an epidemic among? Men. Right? Seven out of ten people who take their lives are men. We're, we're the majority. Right? Because we, we get into a situation. We're in an adversity. Um, it doesn't feel good, so we want to feel better. And then maybe we try a few things to try to make us feel better. We try to get out of it on our own. Right? doesn't work. Right? We try to medicate it. We try to solve it try to use our own, and then in comes the liar, and just like, just, just give up. Jesus said that Satan is a liar and a murderer, and I just want to tell some of my brothers right now that who have thought about this. You're in a situation right now. You're out there. You know who you are right now, and you've thought about this. You're just like, you know what? Be easier, you know? Be easier if I just, you know, did something. That's a lie from the devil, and don't believe it, okay? God says he's with you. God says this is not fatal or final. God has a purpose. God can do it. You just need to surrender to that truth and start moving toward him, calling him out, renewing your faith, giving it all to God, and let the chips fall where they may, 
right? Never sacrifice, right? The immediate for the ultimate. And the ultimate is you win. Either way, God's at work and God can use the situation or he can deliver you through the situation, right? Either way, he's gonna deliver you, okay? Listen to what Jonah says in verses six through 10. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit when my life was ebbing away. Look at what he did. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice, let's get that, sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. So he punctuates his prayer. Looks what happens next. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You know what Jonah came to, to believe? He came to believe in his mind and in his heart and his soul and in his attitude, I win either way. You know what? You brought my life up from the pit, right? When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. And all of a sudden, he turns to God and he starts worshiping God and his circumstance has not changed. You know what that's called? It's called a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise, which he says, right? But I, with shouts of grateful praise in the belly, will sacrifice to you in the belly what I have vowed or committed to in the belly I will make good, so he makes a commitment, in the belly, I will say salvation comes from the Lord, in the belly, it's all in the belly, in the midst of, nothing's changed, right? And so Jonah offers this sacrifice of praise, which is where he affirms what he knows is true, which is God is good. My circumstances don't change God's goodness. And Jonah comes to that, that realization, and in the midst of the belly of the beast, right? After the high seas, getting thrown into the water, getting put into the belly of the beast, what does this man do? He praises the Lord. I mean, he affirms God good, God's goodness. He makes a new commitment. Can you say that right now? Especially those of you who are, are really in it and you're ready to say, this doesn't own me. And you can agree with Jonah, right? Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, can you say, but I, just say it, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Can you start affirming God's, good, God's goodness? Some of you are in a horrible circumstance. I'm gonna coach you up right now. You're gonna affirm God's goodness in the middle of it, right? You're gonna start praising the Lord in the fire, in the belly of the beast. You need to get out that phone, get on that worship playlist, and just start worshiping the Lord, not because your circumstances have changed, it's because a good God doesn't change with your circumstances, and you start worshiping that good God right now. Do it, don't wait, because look at how God responded. Jonah offers God a sacrifice of praise without his circumstance changing. In faith, 
and God vomits him out of that situation. Whoa. Man, that must have been a unique, right? A unique thrill ride, getting vomited out of the mouth of a fish and kind of onto the beach in the dry land. Wow. God can do the same exact thing for you, but you know what? He's looking for a little faith. And Jonah worships in faith in the belly. All right? You guys want to stick it to the devil? Start worshiping him in the belly, not after your circumstances change. Start affirming God's goodness now. What do you give to the God who has everything? Who, who Earth is his footstool. He, he doesn't lack anything. You know what he, you can give him? You can give him a sacrifice of praise. God, I'm gonna affirm your goodness in the midst of this fire because my circumstances don't change who you are. You're good, your loving kindness is everlasting, your faithfulness goes on and on. Just start worshiping the Lord, start lifting him up in the fire, watch God show up and do it in faith and do it humbly and sincerely and watch what God begins to do with your day and this situation, All right? Look at what, what Jesus does. He's, he's the perfect model of you know, knowing that he wins, right? In Matthew 26, right? Look at what Jesus does in the Last Supper. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks for it. Thank, gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. It's interesting that with foreknowledge of what, what is about to happen, Jesus does the same thing. It's like, you know what? I know what I'm going into. I know this is gonna be hard, but you know what? I know God's purpose is in what I am doing. So I win, right? I'm gonna restore God and his people. I'm gonna establish the new covenant in my blood, right? God wants to do a new thing. God wanted to do a new thing and Jesus made a very hard decision to obey God's will in the midst of doing a very hard thing. God wants to do a new thing in your life too. He wants to establish a, uh, or restore uh, his covenant with you through the blood of Christ as a follower of Christ but you're going to have to, to start taking some steps of faith, right? And I want you to see God's pattern. Um, this situation with Jonah, what we see Jesus model in the garden, in his personal adversity and at the Last Supper, what we see in Moses and David and Peter and is, is a pattern. And so let's just kind of walk through, let's start with Jonah, right? You see the belly, right? And then you see the behavior change, and then you see him come out of the belly, right? So he's in the belly, he changes his behavior, he starts praying, right? Talking to God, and then boom, he comes out of the belly, all right? Let's look at another example, right? He's got David, right? He's in the valley, right? He's in the valley of the shadow of death. There's a perspective change. It's like, oh, God's with me in, in the valley, right? And then David comes out of the valley, right? Right? David also in the wilderness, okay? What happens there? He's in the wilderness. There's character change. Things happen in the wilderness that can't happen 
when he's in the comfort of home, his character changes and he comes out of the wilderness, right? Running from Saul, right? And now let's look at Jesus, right? You have the crucifixion, right? There's the adversity, there's the tight space, right? And then what happens? Salvation transacts there. That's the transformation. That's where we go from crucifixion, spilling of blood, forgiveness of sins, and then it, he comes out of the grave, right? Amazing. But do you see God's pattern? That personal adversity, right? God's above it. God's working in it, and he's in, he has intentionality around it, and it comes through our behavior change, our perspective change. There's a character change God wants to make. He wants to turn this crucifixion moment in your life into a resurrection, but you have to trust him for salvation. You have to trust him for deliverance. You have to turn to him and talk to him and offer him a sacrifice of praise, just, just like Jonah, and that's what I love, right? I'm gonna be in the belly of the beast. I have some real big challenges in my life. You do too. I know you do, and if you, you don't have one today, awesome. Praise the Lord. When you do enter into a challenge or a time of high seas, praise the Lord, right? That's just the thing. Adversity doesn't mean a lack of God's presence, although that's what the devil wants you to believe. In fact, in adversity, God's just as close as he was with you in your prosperity. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Prosperity, praise the Lord. Adversity, praise the Lord, keeps me humble and grateful and generous. Wow, and centered. So this applies to all of us. The big idea here that I don't want you to miss, all right, kind of a headline is this. My circumstances possess God's advances in my life, right? My circumstances possess God, God's advances because when the Bible says that God is at work in all things, we should give thanks in all things. That means that every circumstance, prosperity or adversity, possess God's advances, okay? But a lot of times we just feel, no, God just lives over here in the prosperity and in the adversity, he's abandoned and rejected me. No, he's not. He has just as much intention and purpose in adversity as he does in prosperity. In fact, prosperity sometimes messes with our heads and gets us all prideful and self-sufficient and we forget God. And then God might just bring a little storm, a little adversity to get you talking to him and backing his word. Can I get an amen? How many times has that happened in my life? Wow. Look at what the Bible says in Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Can you say that? Can you speak that prophetically and just say, God, I got a lot of plans, but I want your purpose to prevail. I don't like the situation that I'm in, but I want your purpose to prevail. God, thank you for blessing me and bringing me prosperity and, and, and wealth and success and family or relationships, but I want your purpose to prevail. You see, God's purpose is over all prosperity and all adversity. That's what we want. Your kingdom come, your will be done, right, God's man? So the big question is this, as we wind up today's session 
on high seas, no way around but through. Will I surrender to God's purposes over my own? And man, isn't that the battle between his will and your will, between the Holy Spirit and the flesh, between Jesus and the devil, between God's word or the world? Will you surrender? to God's purpose over your own. Let me pray for everyone, including myself. Father, we just gonna let that question hang in the air right now. Will I surrender to your purpose over my own? God, I, I confess, a lot of times I disguise your purpose with really my own agenda. I try to make it seem like, oh, this is definitely your will, but it's my will. And Lord, I confess that and I ask for your forgiveness. And I just wanna be totally honest with you and with myself and even with my brothers who are listening to the sound of my voice. Lord, I wanna tell you that I surrender to your will in in my challenges right now, and I have many. But also I surrender to your will in all your blessings. Lord, I surrender to your will in the mystery of not knowing how things are gonna work out. Lord, I surrender to your will in what's happening in my life today. Lord, I surrender to your will in the fire. Lord, I, I surrender to your will on the mountain peak. Lord, I always want to surrender to your will. Jesus, thank you for modeling surrender. For yet not my will be done, but your will be done. Lord, that was your prayer to the Father. That is our prayer today. Yet not my will be done, but your will be done. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We worship you, Lord. We enter your gates with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. We give thanks to you and bless your name because you're good and your loving kindness is everlasting and your faithfulness goes on and on to every generation and every man. In Jesus' name, we worship you. Amen. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.